Welcome back to the Get a Q podcast. My name is Brandon Hall. I'm pleased to be joined today by Victoria Thompson. Victoria is a STEM coach and ed tech consultant. You can find her on Twitter at Victoria the Tech. Victoria, welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello. Excited to be here today. Yeah, excited to have you. We've been we've been uh, going back and forth trying to get this interview right. going. And yes, uh, yeah. Not, <laughs> not even a tipped over semi truck on the highway was able to stop this podcast. Stop us, right, yes. yeah. We made <laughs> exactly. this happen. We made this happen. So, um, Victoria, you're going to be presenting at the Virtual Mass Queue coming up this winter. We're very excited about that. Um, and you're all over, traveling all over the country doing presentations and talks. Um, but we want to talk about a couple of different topics today for the podcast. Mm. The first is, and, and in the pre-interview, I referred to you as a unicorn, um, because you are you are ed tech and math, um, and and that is, where, that is that is where your background is. Um, so tell me how as a, as a math teacher you got into ed tech, or was it ed tech and then got into math? Honestly, I think it was a little bit of both. Um, and so ironically, I started out just teaching sixth grade science. Uh, so that's where a lot of the stuff that I utilized with ed tech came from. We were in a position where we were a newer school which is always lovely, um, which means that we get, you know, some bells and whistles and we're all trying to figure things out together. So I remember when we got Chromebooks, it was a very big deal. Yeah. I mean, I the Chromebook thing going on and, you know, we were all trying to figure out exactly how that worked. And as the youngest person on the hall um, and also the most technologically inclined, by default, everybody was coming to me. Oh, right. It's almost like, you know, when the grandfather comes to you, like, how do I use my iPhone? Like, that was me. But how do I use my projector? Yeah. Like, what is Google Forms? Yeah. What, what does this look like? And I, you know, that was kind of the role one of my favorites is the, the, the pizza box, the pizza box when they walk to you and they're holding something and like, like they're holding a pizza box. And like, it, it doesn't work. Can you help me with this thing? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a laptop right. or a projector or God only knows mm -hmm. what, but they're holding it like, you know, yeah. Right. And the best is when it's like, it's not turning on. And I'm thinking, did you press the power button? And then usually from there, we're able to figure it out together. Oh, it's not plugged in. Oh. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Or like when the power's out, it's, it's my smartboard isn't turning on. I'm yeah, like, yeah. I think that's because the power's out. Um, but anyway, all this to say that um, once I transitioned into like a science math, like co-teaching mm -hmm. job, um, and that was something that I had pushed for for a very long time. So I started out in sixth grade. I moved down to fifth grade. I was still at a middle school environment um, and middle school usually doesn't start in fifth grade. So that was just a lot of transition, not only for the kids, but also for the families, mm -hmm. because you go from having like, right, like one teacher to six and there's all this movement, you're transitioning from class to class. So I very heavily advocated for to make the transition a little smoother, a two-person teaching team, one person teaches math and science, the other person teaches ELA and social studies. And so I was the math and science person. And really, I found a lot of solace in the ed tech for science. But with math, I'm like, I really don't understand why I'm also not doing the same thing for my mathematics instruction. Mm -hmm. We did have the workbooks. You know, we had the online, you know, digital, like, iReady and whatnot. But what I really was looking forward to with my instruction was how can we use this to elevate what we're already doing? And what does that look like in a math classroom? I, I already knew what it looked like in a science classroom, but my craft was really figuring out what it looked like for math. Um, so that's how I started. And that's kind of also where I am now, you know, as a STEM coach. And even though I work with all of the teachers at my school site, 
Um, I, I really very intentionally have focused on my math team this year because we've got kids by no fault of their own are showing up post I'm going to say lockdown, not pandemic, because we're still in it. Right. right. Um, you know, we in, in, in Washington in particular, uh, most of our kids were not in the physical building and they were remote. And we were just kind of thrown into this situation. And it takes time to craft lessons remotely. Right. It takes time to deliver that instruction. So, again, by no fault of their own, there are just some skills where we're sitting here scratching our heads thinking, how can we fix this? Right. How can we make sure that not only do they have what they need, but they're having fun. Right. And ed tech is, I think, the gateway to all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know when for us, we we had a lot of time. We had to spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to teach certain subjects mm. online. Some of the some of the subjects really lend themselves to online instruction, social studies, ELA, science to a certain extent. You know, you can you can do demos and labs and things like that in front of a webcam. But then teaching math, it was like, OK, so do I turn my my computer, my webcam and point it towards a whiteboard to do the math or like, okay, maybe we've got something like uh, whiteboard.io and we're using that or we're using um, uh, Jamboard or, you know, something along those lines. And it's okay. We, we're starting to figure this stuff out. We, we can kind of get a sense of it, but now it's like, it, did we just, is it just substitution or are we actually moving, moving forward? Moving right. Forward, right. Right. Um, Definitely. And, and I'll never forget going into, um, just like for like consulting, like coaching purposes, um, you know, I'm sometimes asked to just like, hey, pop into our school and maybe give us some feedback or you know, like, hey, you know, we want you to observe this lesson or, you know, visit this space. And it was 45 minutes of like independent like math work. Right. And like all the cameras were off. The, the teacher's camera was off. And I'm sitting there. I'm thinking, OK, like, what's the game plan here? <laughs> That's where my mind always defaults whenever I'm not sure what's happening. I'm, I'm always just thinking, okay, so what's the game plan? Um, and within those 45 minutes of just skill and drill that was done independently, um, the facilitator asked for folks to turn on their cameras or type in the chat box what they had done. And the engagement was like zero. Right. And that was a very um, hard conversation I feel like I needed to have with that facilitator at that time because... You never want to be the person that's like mean about it. Like I, I think we can all agree. Forty-five minutes of independent skill and drill on Zoom when the cameras are off is is just not appropriate for any level. But then the conversation needs to shift to okay, here's what I saw. What do you think went well? What do you think did not go well? And then how can we move forward together to really make sure that this doesn't happen again? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I, I just recently read an article about about Samer Samer. I, I always pronounce it differently every time I say it, but um, but the uh, Samer model where it, it essentially the question was is Samer dead? Um, and the the at the long and short of it is yes, but no, uh, mm -hmm. in the sense that like we're doing things that we never really thought possible before. Before, right? Um, and which is great, but at some point that becomes substitution, right? Like we never thought we could do video responses like Flipgrid before and Flipgrid yeah. was redefinition, but now Flipgrid is so widespread is Flipgrid still redefinition redefinition right. or is it now substitution, right? Or, or yeah. has it, has it bumped down so that uh, essentially what the article said was that, uh, that Samur is, is not so much, uh, an up and down ladder as it is. It's a loop. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. So like you go around and, and now how do we then, 
pick it up another level? How do we keep going with that? And and I'm interested from your perspective in math, how do you take something like math that is sort of pretty cut and dry with mm-hmm. with with not a lot of interpretation where you know as a former social studies teacher everything that happened in in history has some interpretation to it. With math, how do you do that with an ed te- in ed tech? Yeah. I would say that the best way to look at it is to kind of break outside of the box of what people think math education is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm saying this for a couple of different reasons. Like one being like based in the United States, I feel like it's very clear, like, okay, this is the math education that is being learned. Calculus seems to be the end game right now, right? Everyone's got to complete algebra two. We're working with base 10 and here's- I, Which I love, by the way. I my I have a six year old and a nine year old. The base ten thing is amazing with them. Mm-hmm, totally, yeah. In other cultures too, though, like it might not be base ten. Like it's it might be base three. Mm-hmm. It might be base five. It might be all these different concepts. So I always try to just internalize that and think there are a lot of ways for us to represent mathematics. You know, like same with your children. I think about that with our students as well. Mm-hmm. So what works, what doesn't, and how can we best bring that to the table when it comes to ed tech? So like, let's go back to base 10, for example. There are ways that we can represent base 10 with our fingers or our toes, right? We have 10 fingers, we have 10 toes. I also think about how we could represent it physically, uh, like Unifex cubes, Mm -hmm. you know, those like little teddy bears. I'm blanking on the name, but I loved those when I was a kid. Um, You know, like even just like paper objects or even making like different tiles, those are physical means of representation. So that's kind of what we already have and, and what we have had for a while. When I think about bringing this into the digital space, I think different types of counters. I think about utilizing digital number lines, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe doing surveys or polls with the class and seeing who gets to 10, maybe in like a bar graph or word cloud. So it like the technology makes the mathematics engaging and kind of breaks up the monotony a little bit. But then with a twist, in order for that to happen, the facilitator or educator needs to know how the technology works because I cannot tell you how many times I've been in a room and they're like, Mrs. Thompson's here. Okay. Show us how to do this thing. I'm like, wait, but we just talked like yesterday about how you are going to introduce this to your students. So to me, that kind of tips off that they might not have viewed the technology backslash didn't take the time to figure out what it looked like in that concept. And while that's not like the worst possible thing that could happen, it's definitely not the best possible thing that could happen. Um, so it requires skill. It requires just figuring out what works the best for your kids. And then also, again, it's not linear. It's more like a loop, yeah. right? We're testing, we're doing, we're reflecting, we're coming back. So um, moving forward a little bit here, uh, you've written some curriculum uh, on social justice in mathematics. I'm fascinated to learn about this. Yes. So this was really born for me out of frustration. (laughs) Like just to be completely real, I was just done with working with various mathematics departments where they felt like social issues and humanity had no place in math, essentially, because math is numbers and, oh, well, you know, solve this word problem and isn't it so easy and like there's no reason to inject you know like what's going on in the world with math because this is math and like I will very distinctly (coughs) excuse me remember from time to time you know just working with a math teacher and we were talking about struggles that the teacher was having teaching multiplication and the teacher kept saying over and over again to me 
I don't understand why they're not getting it. Multiplication is just the, you know, like inverse of division. I don't understand why they don't get it. It is the inverse of division. It's the inverse of division. It's the inverse of division. And like, I speak math, so I get that. But like, if you were to talk to anybody outside of the math department, they'd be like, I really cannot believe you're trying to tell a group of third graders that it's the inverse of division. And that's the, and that's where the conversation begins and ends, right? Like where's the scaffolding? Mm -hmm. Where's the real world application? Where is the context, you know? And I think that in math departments specifically, sometimes we get so caught up in the technical terminal language that we forget to meet students where they are and show them how this can be applicable to their lives. So that's kind of my long-winded way to say that's how this started. And um, I live in Tacoma, Washington. It's about an hour south of Seattle-ish. Um, but really when I started this project, I started thinking of redlining. Right. And if you're not familiar with redlining, essentially what that means is that in a town or city or wherever certain areas, uh, certain people, you know, read between the lines, live and others don't. Uh, certain resources are given to certain areas and others are not. And I think, you know, looking at North Tacoma, uh, which is considered to be the ritzier area of Tacoma, Washington, um, and then also looking at South Tacoma, which is gentrifying. Um, but, you know, North Tacoma has, you know, the wine bars. It's got the Metropolitan Market, which is an upscale grocery store. It is very walkable. You know, you can get from point A to point B on a bike or on foot versus if you're in South Tacoma, again, which is beginning to make gains. But, you know, sometimes you have to take public transportation because you can't get from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it might be a food desert situation oh, yeah, right, where right. the right where like the closest it, like grocery store is a CVS or a 7-Eleven or the gas station. And my mind immediately went to that as well, because like we, Courtney and I, Courtney's my wife, she and I moved here in 2018. And we have friends that have been here for a very, very, very long time. And they bought their house in Kirkland, which is close to like Redmond, Microsoft, Seattle area, like Amazon, um, for $90,000 in like the 1980s. And that is now a $2 million house. How did inflation do that? Right. Right. And they have admitted, my friends, that if they were to sell their home and try to move anywhere else in the area, they could not afford a thing because it's just gotten too out of hand with the housing prices. Now, all of these different elements coming together, yes, there are frustrations, <laughs> you know, and complaints, but they're also math problems. Right. Right. Why, why is it that you can sell a $2 million home and not be able to afford anything. So we talk about inflation. We talk about wages. We talk about jobs and careers, right? Like that's, that's a math problem. Mm. When I think about redlining physically, that's area it's perimeter, right? It's like price per meter or price per mile. Like all of these things come together, not just in the context of social justice, but also in the context of mathematics. And then when you work through these things with kids, the light bulbs go off because they are directly impacted by that. Mm -hmm. They're directly impacted by what is happening. And they might not know it immediately, depending on the age. Like I've worked any, like from everyone from fifth grade to 12th grade, you know, I do workshops even with like kindergarten through fifth grade and they, they get it. So we're doing a disservice if we don't give them things that they understand in the context of math. Yeah. And in the context of math, there have been, I, I remember the first time I thought of, or had heard of social justice in in education, in testing anyway, was taking a look at standardized tests and removing questions that 
um, students wouldn't have, say, a background to know about, like a kid in the Southwest doesn't know anything about skiing. Why would they know anything about skiing that where they it's, you know, the coldest it ever gets where they live is 70 degrees. Um, or, you know, a kid that lives in, in rural suburbs doesn't know much about public transportation. Whereas a kid who lives in the city takes public transportation to school every day. Absolutely. And these are the things that shape what our students do and also how they view the content in front of them. So most of the students of the schools that I work at, you know, they might be like houseless or they might be living in public housing or in a multi-generational apartment, or if they live in a single family home, they might not have certain amenities, you know, and it kind of spans the gamut. But I very distinctly remember working with a group of teachers on a math curriculum. And uh, one of the questions was, you know, Johnny is building a deck at his summer home. And I'm like, okay, we're going to nix that question, (laughs) right? Like, because, and I was telling you, Brandon, like, decks are not really a thing in the Pacific Northwest. Like, I grew up in, in the Northeast where we all had basements and we all had decks or patios. Like, it was just kind of a thing. And I find out here, like, it's just not a thing in the Pacific Northwest. Same with like having a basement. I don't think I have a friend that has a basement here. Um, But anyway, the regional semantics impact that because a kid might look at that and then the question doesn't become, how do I solve this math problem? The focus is what is a deck? (laughs) You know, like I think that we're on the SAT and uh, one of it was like, or is to regatta as da 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 to da 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 or whatever. <laughs> and like I know about regatta because I grew up in the Northeast. Yeah. You know, I grew up in New Jersey and 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 we see these things happen. Um, but you know, like if you're in the Pacific Northwest, you're probably not gonna recognize that or see that. Right. And it's it's the words and the terminology that matters. And then also something that we can do to frame with kids as well is also focus on what they're interested in. And I think that's the hardest part with social justice because there are so many different topics. Um, But one of my favorite things that I'm working on with a group of teachers right now is we're looking at ethical investing because, you know, in middle school, Mm -hmm. like, and and they also have access to a lot more social media and news outlets than I think the other generation. Or actual investing. Like actual, right. actual invest. I mean, think about what Robinhood is like. Right. You, say, you can say, a, you, yeah, yeah, you can say a lot. You can say a lot of things about Robinhood as a company, but the the actual democratization of of stockbroking, right, or being mm-hmm. a stockbroker, it can anybody can do it now. Anybody can do it now. Yeah. So we came up with a project based learning activity about ethical investment and what ethics mean to the individual student. Um, what do they want to invest in? How are they investing? And what does an ethical portfolio look like based on your view of ethics? Uh, so hopefully that'll be fun. <laughs> we're we're going to put that into um, just kind of into place uh, within the next coming weeks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right now we're doing a lot of, again, boots on the ground research, right? What tech platform would be the best to represent the portfolio? Um, like how can students maybe make a video commercial or something about what they're learning? What kind of journal tracking or reflecting can they do along the way? So there are lots of opportunities there to incorporate technology, but that social justice component is at the forefront because our kids are experiencing this every day. Yeah. It's just a matter of how are we putting it into our work? Yeah. And that just checks so many boxes as a lesson plan too, right? Like yes, it's, en- yeah. it's engaging, it's interesting. It, you know, you're, the kids are learning about investing. They're learning about ethics. They're learning about social justice. It's all good there. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to talk about your virtual MassQ appearance uh, coming up in February. Uh, the MassQ conference is going to be virtual again this year. 
um, mm-hmm. due to the due to the ongoing pandemic. Um, I know we kind of joked about <laughs> joked a little bit about <laughs> at the end of the pandemic. Well, yeah, unfortunately, so. Uh, some conferences are coming back in person. This one is going to be virtual, uh, with the hopes that next October we'll be at live in Gillette, Sta- live in Gillette yeah. Stadium again. But um, uh, what are you going to be? What are you planning on talking about at, at the virtual MassQ? Yeah. So all of my stuff that I do is really focused on how how can we be culturally responsive and how can we be equitable mm-hmm. with our students. So my session in particular focuses on that culturally responsive piece of STEM education. And I believe I also have another on deck on equity and educational technology. Um, I submitted a couple and was really happy when they got accepted. Yeah. Um, but the culturally responsive STEM piece really focuses on in STEM, again, it's almost like they think that we're robots and this is numbers and this is science and like there's no way to be culturally responsive or there's no way to infuse social issues into this. And we know that that's just not the case. Like time and time again, we know that there are ways to put culture into STEM. And also, especially with the educational technology, for students to see themselves in the tech. I think Pear Deck does a really good job of this. Mm -hmm. Like I go to Pear Deck and there are kids that look just like me, right? They have dark skin, they have dark eyes. You know, there are kids in wheelchairs. There are kids wearing glasses. And it's just so empowering to see because when I was growing up, like everything was white. (laughs) Um, And I'm like, okay, but where are the people that look like me? And like, I'm not saying that like we don't have white teachers or we don't teach white students, but you know, that representation is, is just so wonderful. And even when I work with kids and I'm doing Pear Deck, they're like, that person looks just like me, Mm -hmm. which is cool. And then also I've, I've I've written for Pear Deck before and it's neat because uh, when I wrote for them, they created like an avatar of me. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So I have like a cartoon like that's that that was created by the folks from Pear Deck. Oh, so and it's, cool. It's so spot on. <laughs> Every time I see it, I'm like, that looks exactly like me. Um, but anyway, that's kind of a little snippet of the culturally responsive STEM. It's we know that more people than Isaac Newton and Albert Einstein exist. So mm-hmm. how do we bring some of that into the classroom? And what does it look like when we structure our lessons and activities? Yeah. And then for equity and educational technology, that is all about just because, a, you know, a kid has a Chromebook, it doesn't mean that they have reliable Internet access at home. It doesn't mean that they know how to utilize the platforms um, and also might not be the right platform for them. I got really involved with Microsoft Education when I found out very quickly that for my English language learners, uh, Google Education or G Suite, rather, just didn't have what I needed at the time. But then here we have the wonderful learning tools with Microsoft Education, and that made my students soar. I think both platforms are fantastic, but it's not a catch-all situation for everybody, and that's what equity is all about, right? Equity and equality are different because equality means we all get the same thing. (coughs) Excuse me. Equity means that we we all have what we need to succeed. So the way I describe it is like equality means everybody gets a pair of shoes, but equity means we all get shoes that fit. So how are we finding that we're getting shoes that fit and what tools help us fill those shoes? Yeah. I love the graphic of the people watching the baseball game. I don't know if you've seen that Mm, one, you know, the standing on the boxes and the fence and everything else. Uh, I, that one really hit home for me the first time I saw it. I I thought, okay, wow. Now that's, and I love your shoe analogy too. Um, so what sorts of things are you working on outside of your, I don't want to call it nine to five job, but your, um, what, 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 do you have anything fun going on, um, you know, any books or your website or anything like that? 
Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because when people are like, what do we call your job? I'm like, I basically work like three full-time jobs at this point. <laughs> um, but I am very excited to one, just kind of celebrate the end of the year because uh, we made it through 2021. And I think that that in and of itself should be celebrated. Um, and I say this because as soon as 2022 hits, I'm hitting the ground running with yeah. uh, presenting at conferences, you know, uh, keynoting and doing lots of other things. So I'll be presenting at FETSI, which is Future of Educational Technology Conference. It is in Orlando this year. I'm a huge Disney Parks fan. So this is the best thing to ever happen to me. Okay, uh, before, before, be I, before I stop you there, Disney, Disney question. Your favorite yes. food item at Disney? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, like a snack or Is like the, a meal? your favorite food thing that you can only get at Disney? You can only only get at Disney. Yeah, only because you can get you know you can get a foot long hot dog <laughs> anywhere, right? You can get you can get nachos anywhere, mm -hmm. but like your it's it's at Disney. You can only get it at Disney. It's your favorite thing. Like you have yeah. to have it every time. That's a really good question. Um. Ooh, there's two. Um, you can get egg rolls anywhere. Yeah. Um, but outside of Adventureland and Magic Kingdom, there's that egg roll cart. Okay. Um, and they have different types of egg rolls that rotate in and out. Okay. I'm a really big fan of the pepperoni egg rolls. I think oh. that those are really, really good. Okay. Um, and then the second is also ironically in um, Adventureland. You can't really get it anywhere else outside of Disney property, but the Dole Whip. Thank you. That was the that, correct that answer. Favorite, that was the correct answer. <laughs> yep. Yep. I love a good Dole Whip. Yeah. And I usually get it as a float where it has the pineapple juice yes. and it's got the Dole Whip. And then I sit in the tiki room and I eat it and I listen to the birds sing and the yeah. flowers croon in the tiki, 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 tiki room. Yep. And I love it. Okay. Yes. You, you answered correctly. That is the uh, correct answer for the favorite. Um, huge, huge <laughs> Dole Whip fan. Um, so, yes, so uh, other things that you're working on before I really right. interrupted you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'll be at Betsy um, in late January. Um, on February 11th, I have a, excuse me, <coughs> my throat keeps acting up today. Um, I have a keynote for IST, which is uh, with the Odea High School that's here um, in the Seattle area. And it's my very first keynote focusing on specific products. Mm. Um, I'm not sponsored by Microsoft for this, but the keynote is using Microsoft tools to create inclusive schools. Cool. So I'm very much looking forward to just kind of sharing how I've utilized Microsoft education products to kind of transform my, not only instruction, but also with my school. Um, I just finished my ISTE ambassadorship, which is really exciting, uh, which means I'm looking forward to ISTE 2022, which is in New Orleans in June. I'm keynoting for IdeaCon from February 7th through 10th, and that's up in the Chicago area. I'll also be at TCEA, which is in Dallas, Texas in February. Um, March, who knows? I was talking to you, Brandon, about how I've got friends that are getting married. Yeah. So I'm like trying to figure out like what the game plan is for that, because then I can uh, kind of work my travel around that. But um, I'll also in April, I'll be keynoting in the Dakotas. Oh, very um, so cool. this will be my first time going and I'm very excited. Excellent. Um, and that's just kind of like the front end stuff. You know, I've got webinars that I'll be giving through um, the Special Education Technology Center here in Washington. Um, also some webinars through ISTE. I've actually got one next week that I'll be giving on how COVID changed instructional coaching. Yeah. But yeah, just a lot on the horizon to be really excited about. Very and cool. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, very cool. And where can people find you online? 
Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Victoria the Tech. Uh, that is by far where I'm the most active on social media. Um, and there you can find the link to like my website, things I'm doing, uh, people I'm connected to, and just ways to stay in touch. Awesome. Victoria Thompson, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Great talk. Yeah, thank um, you. I, I always learn so much from our guests. I, I'm fascinated now, and I really want to dig in on the social justice and mathematics piece. So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that. Yes. Yeah. That's a fun one. So you'll have fun with that. All right. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you.